Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are once again very grateful uh, for Your awesome uh, provision, especially, Lord, for of Your Word and of Your Son, of Your Spirit, uh, of Your grace. We ask, God, that You would pour Your Spirit out upon us now as we uh, sit to learn about these ancient stories and yet how relevant they are to our contemporary lives. And, and so, Father, just be our teacher. We come with uh, each of us, our own set of bags. We pray, God, that You give us the grace to leave those at the door. Let You carry those for us um, as our burden bearer. And we would sit here uh, as uh, in, in this um, place of redemption, Lord, that You have called each of us to new life. So let us hear that with uh, new ears uh, as a child uh, listening to our Father. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So we continue with uh, the Essential 100. I guess this is week four. Uh, Last week we met Abram. uh, And we said that Abram was called by God. That that is um, God calling. Everybody's phone's going off. Um, so, God, Abram was called by God as the initiation of God's process to restore the relationship between God and humanity. So, uh, so that was, that's the issue. God has sort of established in the first 11 chapters of Genesis that, um, that, he is, uh, that there is a broken relationship between God and humanity. And we saw that rather than setting up laws and structures and things, the first, things that, the first thing that God does to restore this broken relationship is He gets relational. And He calls one man uh, who is getting along in years uh, and says, I want you to pick up everything you have and move to Israel. And so, um, the land of Canaan at that point. Uh, he is uh, making a... Then we saw that He made a promise to... Abram, that he made a, he cut a covenant. Remember the uh, the animals were cut in half, and instead of Abram walking through and said, "This is what's going to happen to me if I don't up, uphold my end," that actually God walks through uh, in the form of a smoking fire pot and says, "If you don't hold up your end of the bargain, this is what happens to me," which of course is fulfilled uh, on the cross. I just think even it, it's amazing that God is is making a promise to Abram at all. He doesn't know Abram. He doesn't report to Abram. Why would God reveal His plans to Abram or to anybody? Uh, and why would God make a promise to Abram uh, that He would keep even when Abram doesn't uphold his end of the deal? Or Abram's people. Um, his whole family would run off the rails. And I think it just says, number one, God is relational. Uh, he's teaching Abraham and, and all of us who would inherit Abraham's faith uh, that He's teaching us about His own character. That He is a God who speaks, that He is a God who is faithful, He is a God who is serious about His words, and, and He is a God who is in charge. Uh, regardless of the actions of humanity, He is going to work His purposes uh, through. So we're going to begin today in chapter 21. What we have missed in the interim is that um, God circumcises Abram and gives him a new name, Abraham. Uh, Abram meant uh, exalted father which is kind of an ironic name since he had no children. And then God um, circumcises him and, and renames him Abraham, which means father of a multitude. 
He also changes Sarai's name to Sarah. Incidentally, both of those mean princess. So we, um, we also miss that, that God has promised that uh, within a year, 90-year-old Sarah would have a son. Now I'm looking around. I don't. I'm not sure anybody in here. Uh, at this, I'm looking around. I don't. I, yes, we have at least one uh, person in their 90s uh, here. And I don't. You know, if someone came to you and said, "Hey, within a year, you're going to have a brand new bouncing baby boy." I think that would be uh, a threat, not a, um, not not a promise. I'm in my mid 40s. If, if we got that, that would be uh, more than we could handle. I think. Um, breaking news. Breaking news. ML. Um, so. And so when God promises that, you remember what Sarah's reaction was, she laughs. Like, but but not she probably it probably wasn't funny. It wasn't a ha-ha laugh, right? It was a that snicker, that cynical, like, whatever. Um, and and she says, I am worn out and my Lord is old. Shall I have pleasure? And uh, the Lord responds, Is anything too hard for God? And the answer to that is, of course, is no. Uh, and then we have Sodom and Gomorrah, and that's a total mess. And God rescues Lot. I mean, uh, Abram rescues Lot again. Lot is Abram's knuckle, knucklehead nephew, and uh, and then Lot's daughter, also Lot's daughters. God destroys uh, Sodom. The daughters get Lot drunk and have sex with him, and they have two sons. Uh, one is named Moab, and one is named Ben Ami. So when it, throughout the uh, throughout the scriptures, you hear about the Moabites. Or the Ammonites, that's where they're from. And they're always in sort of knocking heads with the Israelites. So, and then just in case we've forgotten that Abraham was chosen because of God's goodness and not because of Abram's uh, goodness, Abraham again passes off Sarai, Sarah, uh, worn out Sarah at this point, uh, to a king as his sister. So, man, dysfunction. Uh, it is not new uh, in, our, in our age. And we pick it up in chapter 21 with the birth of Isaac. So finally, God's promise to Sarah and to Abram, uh, Abraham comes uh, true. She conceives, she bear, carries the son uh, for her to, peer, to term, and, and he is born. The second generation of this promised multitude. And remember, you know the name Isaac means laughter. So now, not, it's not the cynical laughter, it's the <laughs> it's a, like you were laughing. Uh, it is amazing. It's an amazing thing. So let me read verse, uh, chapter 21, verses 1 through 7. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And which means laughter, or he laughs. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. And Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. God bless him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. Even thousands of years later, we're still laughing about this. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in my old age. So, it is significant, isn't it, that the this, this family of God begins with, a, with an impossible birth. Uh, that, remember, Genesis 1-11, through 11, universal in its scope. Genesis 12, uh, we begin the story of God's salvation with the story of the family that God has chosen. 
And that starts, uh, second generation, with a Im not just improbable, but really impossible birth. Uh, it is not just some legend where the authors accidentally look overlooked Sarah's age. Uh, it was supposed to be strange and entirely miraculous. Only God can do this. And yet, as Christians, we... Uh, see the significance of this miracle birth heightened dramatically, don't we? Because we see that God moves the story from the family back to the universal scope. Remember, all families of the, of the earth shall be blessed through Abram's line. And He moves it back with another miracle birth. Not, this time, a woman in her old age, but a young virgin. And that is, again, sort of bookends. The, the story of God's salvation, both with miraculous and improbable births. Um, another testimony. Only God could do this. Only God could do this. So, we don't have time really to get into Ishmael because of, of the things I want to, um, to cover, but God promises uh, to Ishmael, that he, uh, who is Abram's son by Sarah's uh, um, servant, and as I understand it, the Muslims see themselves as um, descended from Ishmael, maybe physically or spiritually, perhaps. Um, Ishmael is uh, seen by the uh, Muslims as the true and rightful son of God's promise. So, why do they discount Isaac? Then? Why do they discount Isaac? Well, because Ishmael was the older son. He just wasn't the son to Sarah. He was the son to Sarah's servant. Because Sarah, at some point, says, this ain't going to happen. So you might as well, you know, she's my servant. Servants, they had a heavy burden those days. So, um, different times, different times. All right, so we're going to come to chapter 22. Is really where I want to spend most of our time. If we have time to get to the, uh, the, other, uh, the other narratives, then we, we will, because they're, they're all really significant. But this is the sacrifice of Isaac, which I have said that I really love. And so you'll have, to, you'll have to wrestle with that. So uh, 19 verses, here we go. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And God says, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abram said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took his hand, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. And so they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, Here I am, my son. And Isaac said, Behold, the fire and the wood, where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order 
and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. That's understated at best. And he said, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, or Jehovah Jireh. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself, I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they arose and went together to Beersheba. So, we hear this and we automatically think, what? How terrible. How terrible that God would ask Abraham to sacrifice uh, his son. But it's interesting, isn't it, that Abraham doesn't say that. He doesn't say, what? Are you kidding me? This is the same Abraham that has twice now passed off his sister, uh, uh, passed off his his wife as his sister. This is not a man who is uh, not wily. He, He is not just... Passive. He's, he rescued Lot um, from the kings by defeating them in, in a battle. He's a tough man. You would think that he would just that he would have some sort of level of incredulousness, but he doesn't. He gets up the next morning, saddles his donkey, calls his servants, and he calls Isaac. I want to say before we get into the narrative that the Old Testament is steadfastly and uniformly against child sacrifice. It's mentioned several times in relationship and description of other religions competing for pagan religions around there. And it is always put down. It is always condemned. One time in the prophets, I think it's in Ezekiel, God is seen in a sense to be positive towards child sacrifice, but it is a very cynical way. He is giving them over to the worship of this, these other pagan gods. He said, go ahead, sacrifice your children. If that's what you want, you're running away from me. So he's not positive in the sense of it acting like, as if it's worshiping him. He's saying that that is going to be the fruit of you running away from him. So child sacrifice is always uh, put down. I just want to so have that a little bit of, of context. So Tim Keller, who I think a lot of, and I quote uh, from time to time, says that that Abram understands that God is demanding the firstborn as the penalty for his sin. Now we see this um, in the the plagues in Egypt, and we see this several times when when someone, even in the life of Jesus, when his parents go and make an offering uh, in the temple, and there's there's Levitical um, regulations about, uh, about this, that as an offering, instead of sacrificing the firstborn, we're going to make a burnt offering uh, instead. It's sort of a substitute. Because the price of you, for your own sin is, is 
that, but is, is, your, is the firstborn. It's really more symbolic because it means, uh, it means that God is really serious about your sin. And it preaches well that under, Abram understood this, but that, those regulations didn't come for many years and it's not put there in the text. So I'm not sure if God thought that, um, and if Abram thought that God was calling his debt. What I am sure about is that Abraham seems at the same time heartbroken and obedient. Um, the, the voice of the Lord says, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and sacrifice him. And it's interesting, and scholars have noted how um, Abram gets up and he's, he's obedient, but he's he calls his servants, but then he cuts the wood. Why wouldn't he have his servants cut the wood? It's because he's, he's dragging his feet. Like he's, he's lingering. And he never says, hey, we're, this is what's going to happen to anybody. In fact, even when they, after three days, and, and three days is always significant. Um, after three days, uh, Aram says to the servants, they, they look up and see where they're headed to, Mount Moriah. And he says, I and the boy are going there to worship and we will return to you. And so, there is a sense even uh, that, that Abraham, either he's, he's not coming to grips himself with what's happening, or he's just not telling them, or that he just believes that God's going to work some sort of miracle. But the choice, nevertheless, is, is, that, is that Abraham is faced with, is he, is, he is now faced with the choice between the, the promise that God has given to him and the child who represents that promise. Like, his 90-year-old wife had a, had a baby, and this is probably like 15 years later at least. So she's 105. And, he's, and God's going to say, actually, I'm going to start over? Like, that just seems crazy, right, to, uh, to Abraham or to any of us. So he's faced with this choice. Am I going to... Uh, obey God or, or am I going to do what seems reasonable and I wonder if you've ever been faced maybe not with this sort of choice but with, with that choice between obedience and what seems reasonable you know I, I was trying to think back and, and the, the examples in my life that come most that jump to my mind the most have to do with stewardship am I going to obey God in my giving or am I going to peel that back because I've got bills to pay or things I want or anything? That seems reasonable because it, it, you see the thing. Like, if I'm, Am I going to do what God asked me to do and trust that He's going to provide? Or am I going to hedge my bets and keep some back for myself? And, and Abraham, or it might be like if you're thinking about leaving your very comfortable and steady job to start out a, your own business or to, to join some... Um, non-profit or cause or, or something like that and you're thinking I, I just feel compelled I feel pulled toward this led to this maybe by God but leaving my comfortable job and the insurance and everything that seems crazy but I almost I feel more peace I, I feel less peace staying in the comfortable job I mean I felt that way coming here that that if you know I had this great job and in a place that I loved in Birmingham and yeah I felt pulled here and I, I didn't know you people, <laughs> so um, I love you. I, in fact, I was just thinking this week, I love being the rector of this church. I really do love it. And yet, um, it seemed a little crazy at the time to, to pick up my family and my daughter in the middle of fifth grade and, and all these factors. 
and, and come to this place that we don't know, but it, it has worked out uh, wonderfully. Um, we walk by faith and not by sight. So I just wonder if you can resonate a little bit with Abram and the difficulty of the choice that he was faced with. Now, we still haven't seen why God would ask something like this. But um, Hebrews 11 uh, says, says this, and that, that passage, was, that great passage, the Faith Hall of Fame, talks about Abram a few times, but he says this, he says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So, the New Testament understands Abraham's faith as, again, I mean, that he's making the case that, that we're, we're saved, we're reconciled by, to God by faith. And Abraham is exhibiting that in his relationship with God, saying, I don't really understand this, but I'm, I'm just going to have to trust you. Because if you've decided to take away the promise, then that's really your God. Your, yeah. I was, as we read verse 8 this morning, it hit me that I think Abraham said that about God providing the land as much to affirm to himself he trusted God as well as to um, maybe reassure his son. That nothing bad would happen. Well, so he's actually, he names the land after the God, God has already provided the, the sacrifice. And so, so he's, he's, um, he's, he's naming the, the uh, he's, he's naming that because God has already seen it through. On the, on the way there, before the Lord, the angel speaks, he just has to walk forward in faith. Well, that's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. God will provide the lamb. God will provide the lamb. That's right. Um, but he didn't know how. He didn't know how he was going to provide the lamb. Yeah. He didn't know, still at this point didn't know how it's going to work out, right? That's a good question though, isn't it? I mean, he lays the wood on the shoulders of the son and heads up the hill, and Isaac asks a pretty reasonable question. Uh, Dad, <laughs> um, we got the wood, we got the fire, where's the lamb? And God, and Abraham says, God Himself will provide the lamb for the sacrifice. And there is, it's interesting to me, there's no account of struggle. No, get back here, boy. You know, not, nothing like, like that. It's just, uh, he, he builds the altar, he binds Isaac, and he puts him on it, and he gets the knife. Like, I just, you know, at this point still, I mean, your heart's just breaking, because as a parent, you just can't imagine uh, that God would, would ask of this. And yet you can think also in their culture that child sacrifice and, and pagan worship, that maybe this didn't seem so unrealistic or off the chart. And in fact, the, the fact that God stays the knife says, I'm actually, I am distinct. You, yes, you're, you're, um, your life, uh, your faith was such that you were willing to give me this son, and yet I am a God who is distinct from the other gods around me. So he says, the angel of the Lord cries out, now I know that you fear God and I've not withheld your sons from me. I'd love, uh, I'd encourage you to go on Google Images or something and type in um, the sacrifice of Isaac. Caravaggio has a just a wonderful, beautiful uh, picture 
and uh, and there's a couple of mo couple more. Um, Rembrandt also has a really wonderful there, and I didn't have time to get it up there for you, but but it's just a, a really our artists have really contemplated this and wrestled with this uh, over the years, and so because he was willing to. Um, the angel cries out and it says, Now I know you fear God. You've not withheld your son from me. And there was a ram God in, uh, caught in the thicket and, and by his horns. And God indeed did provide the sacrifice. So the question then is, why does my pastor love this story? Right? It's um, Mount Moriah, many scholars think, and it's debatable, but many scholars think that Mount Moriah is the, is the mountain upon which would later be built Jerusalem. And there would be another son who would ascend that same hill with wood on his back. And God again would provide uh, the lamb for the sacrifice. And again, there would be no struggle and the son would willingly be hoisted upon the altar of sacrifice, but this time that wood would be a cross. And this time the father would in fact do the deed. And this time the Son would be the Lamb who would take away the sin of the world. And this time the Son would die so that all of us could be free. I love this story because it points us so dramatically uh, ahead uh, to the cross. Now, the scholar Victor Hamilton says this, In the case of uh, Genesis 21, 22, if we focus only of the, on the command of God, go to Mount Moriah and offer your son, then what we'll see is cruelty, right? But if we zoom out and we look at the whole narrative, particularly the watchful angel and the provision of the ram, we see a God who provides mercifully and a God who has distinguished himself from among the other deities of the world who would, in fact, require such sacrifice. In fact, that scholar quotes a, um, another scholar that says, um, DeVoe, I think is his name, the, um, who's, who says... Uh, any God-fearing Jew would see uh, that the prosperity of their nation would be the result of Abraham's uh, obedience. So, uh, both to, in willingness to sacrifice Isaac and in uh, his obedience in, in um, being willing to, um, to stay the knife. So similarly, if we, if we think of God the Father as being cruel to God the Son on Calvary, um, then we're only looking at the act itself. But if we zoom out, we realize their unity. Our Trinitarian doctrine understands that the God the Father and God the Son were in perfect accord and that they moved together towards the cross uh, so that all of us could be free. So we see it less as an act of unity, more as an, I mean, less an act of cruelty, divine child abuse, as some have called it, and more as an act of salvation and mercy and grace where Jesus was not forced into that but willingly um, willingly went for you and for me. So, that's the sacrifice of Isaac. Some, it, it is chilling. But it, I, I love it because, it because it points us to what God has done for us uh, in Christ. So, your questions, your comments, your thoughts. Yes, Susie. So, to reiterate, you're saying we knew that God knew what what Abraham was going to do. Abraham had already made up his mind what he was going to do. So only person left that really served to benefit and lesson from would have been Isaac. Is that correct? 
So Susie says, <laughs> where, where does Isaac uh, come out in this? Um, you know, I don't know, because we look at Isaac, and Isaac is, is, a, is a pretty squirrely dude, and we're going to look at that in just uh, in a cursory way. And I have often wondered, and I'm no psychiatrist, but I, I've wondered if, if sometimes, I mean, Isaac's not a good father. And I wonder if, if this is a result of the, the traumatic experience they had on Mount Moriah. And, and I, don't, I don't know the answer to that. But we, do we benefit? I mean, I, yes, God knew, and Abraham was obedient. Isaac had to look to God himself for, for his own healing. I mean, there's no question about that. Uh, we don't get a lot of that in Scripture is to see that. Um, to see that. But he is, uh, I mean, God is often referred to as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I mean, he is... The patriarch, he is he is the second generation and, and one who's looked to, and he also uh, issues, which as we'll see in just a minute, uh, the blessing uh, upon Jacob. So, uh, so yet he is used by God, even though he is perhaps um, damaged goods, as as we all are in this in this case. That'd be case. kind of scary knowing that your father was willing to. Well, if you, I mean, yes, it'd be much scarier if you didn't see tears in his eyes, um, but but I don't know. I don't know. So Isaac goes on to marry Rebecca, uh, who is the sister of Laban, who is the cousin or the nephew maybe of Abraham. Read, read that in, in the interim. They have two sons, Esau and Jacob. So they're twins, right? Esau was red and hairy when he came out, and Jacob came out grasping his heel. In fact, the name Jacob means he grasps the heel, which is a euphemism for he cheats. He's a cheater. Don't put that on anybody you know named Jacob. Yeah, they probably may not be a cheater, but that's what the name meant then. So Esau is tough, and Jacob is sort of a mama's boy. Uh, Chapter 25, 27, 28 says this about them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. <laughs> Just, yeah. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So, there we are. What we see is that Esau is this sort of man's man, this hunter. He's got, you know, he's got hair on his chest from, from the womb, which is... <laughs> Strange. <laughs> Jacob is a smooth man, quiet man, and and yet in- interestingly, I've never noticed this before. Isaac's love for Esau. This is Isaac, who was almost sacrificed by Abraham. Isaac's love for Esau was conditional. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, and Rebecca's love for Jacob is not given a reason. It's unconditional. Rebecca loved Jacob. So Jacob, you remember, swindles Esau out of his birthright. He comes back, he's starving. Give me some of that. He says, well, you're going to have to give me, he, you know, Mr. He cheats. He grasps the heel, says, you're going to have to give me your birthright. Who knows how old they are? And for us, we think that's crazy. Like, how is this, how does this legitimate? How, is, how does this hold uh, as, as, a, as a binding contract? And yet Esau says, well, what gives a birthright if I'm not around to enjoy it? Give me something to eat and um, I'm going to die of starvation. And so, um, so he swindles him. And then Isaac wants to bless Esau anyway. 
Esau agrees, so he goes against the contract that they've had. And again, again, the blessing is dependent upon food. Isaac says, uh, he's blind at this point. He says, go out and, um, and give me some of that delicious game that you make, uh, kill and make for me, and I will give you a blessing. And so Esau heads out. Again, the, the blessing is conditional. I just think that's amazing that Isaac was um, playing favorites with his, with his kids and that he, um, he wants to offer the blessing to Esau, uh, who is, rightfully would get that, and yet he, is, um, uh, he said, I'm not going to do it unless you give me food. I just think that is uh, remarkable. And so um, what we see is that um, Jacob and Rebekah connive to trick blind Isaac. And uh, he, she makes the meal that he wants, uh, and she takes the goat skin from the goat that she slaughters and she puts it, puts the skins on Jacob and he goes in and says, feel my arm, I'm Esau. And, uh, and Isaac is blind and he gives him the blessing. I want to read the blessing to you. Genesis chapter 27. Like, we don't work like this anymore, right? But see, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. See, he's talking with his stomach again. May God give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. And Esau comes in right after Jacob leaves, and he says, "Hey, Dad, I got your I got your meal," and uh, and he says, "I've already given the blessing away." And Esau wants to kill Jacob. Of course, he does, right? And so, I just think I take a little comfort in this, honestly. Because one might expect that the family of God, that the family that God has chosen, uh, through whom all nations of the family would be best, that family might have it together, right? That family might be a great example, and they were a great example, except they were a great example of dysfunction, right? So uh, they, were, they were as messed up and maybe more messed up than your family and my family, put together, perhaps. Uh, and I just say that God chooses to work through the crazy of His people for His purposes. Thanks be to God. Right. Uh, somebody has told us that one of our great ministries as a family here in this church is that our family is loud in church. Um, just a little bit crazy. Just says that um, says that, you know, to the rest of us, oh, we're not as bad as the Gibbs. So um, maybe not quite like that. But there's two significant moments. Uh, you know, so God uses the crazy uh, in our lives to work through his purpose. The crazy in our lives doesn't mean that God's not working. We need to really hold on to that. I do. The crazy in our lives does not mean that God is not working uh, in our lives. So there's two significant moments in Jacob's life. Uh, one is Jacob's ladder, where he has the dream. And one is where Jacob wrestles with God on the fords of the Jabbok River. I commend those readings to you. Both of them, he's afraid of Esau. So when he has the dream, he's running away from, from Esau this first time. 20 years later, he marries Leah and Rachel, that whole crazy story with Uncle Laban. And, um, but the, the latter seems to be the point where, where um, 
Jacob actually has a profound conversion. We don't see him cheating after that time. He does, uh, he, he is slick. He's shrewd with Laban towards the end of his career because Laban has, has put him through the ringer for 20 years. He says, I'll work for seven years so I can marry Rachel, who's the younger daughter. He gets into the uh, wedding chamber and wakes up the next morning and it's Leah. <laughs> I, again, I wasn't there. Hard to, hard to imagine. <laughs> and so Laban says, you can have Rachel too, but it's not, you know, and, and, um, and then you've got to work another, another seven years. And it's been 20 years. And so, um, but God is with Jacob. And Jacob's coming back. He leaves Laban. He's like, I, I've got to get out of here. And Esau, he runs into Esau. And Esau's got 400 armed men. <laughs> and that's when Jacob wrestles with God on the fords of the Jabbok um, River, and he gets renamed Israel, which means he strives with God, he wrestles with God. And then he goes on to have uh, 12 boys, and we'll see them next week. But, um, and they become the tribes of Israel. So we get the name of Israel from Jacob. He's the father of, ja- of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, or Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, same guy. So, um, but God is with Jacob because he made a promise to Abraham. God is shown to be faithful. So, we're at our time. I'd love to know, do you have, what are, what's your, yeah, yes, Richard. I'm sorry, but he's, he's renamed Israel, yes. not Israel. Israel. The L is the name of God. Well, that's true. Okay. It means he strives with God, yeah. He strives with God. Yeah. Uh, for me, that's really important. Very good. Yeah. Yes, Gina. It just really bothers me the deceit that God allowed in this. The deceit that he allowed in 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 which that that J- Jacob got to pretend to yes. be the older one. That really bothers me. And Rebecca's complicit, like you said, too. Yes. And they get away with it. it right. And it sounds a lot like family. Um, so some, <laughs> some, sometimes um, a Lifetime Channel family. Uh, but, but it, it um, you know, and I just, again, I don't, I don't know that God, I mean, just con- condoned the yeah. duplicitousness or the, the, the lying. But to say that God, uh, and, and I don't know what to say about that. Except that uh, Jacob was the chosen one. He was the son of, of promise, even though he was not the older of the two. And again, God doesn't choose us because of our rights. He chooses because he chooses us. And so uh, Esau, the, the followers of Esau, he did, you know, Esau made well for himself and his followers of the Edomites. So we see them, we see the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Edomites, we see them all through, um, all through the, the scriptures. But, but you're right. And again, I take great comfort knowing that God isn't put off by the human craziness. So I hope that that's the lesson I get out of anyway. What happened to Ishmael and all this? Well, I was going to say about that too. Abraham, as we all do, God says to do this and we think we have a better idea. Like he was with Hagar Mm -hmm. and had a son. He thought, well, I'll just do it my way instead of God's way. But God's way always prevails regardless of our right. 
our foolishness. So what happened to Ishmael? I mean, you can go back and read it. He is uh, Sarah, but once she has her child, she's jealous of Hagar. She puts them out, and God protects them, uh, Hagar and Ishmael, and, and he becomes a great nation. Um, again, the, the, the Hagar gives one of the great prayers to God. I encourage you. See, I can't cover all of it. Like, I only have 40 minutes. But you can go read it. It's in the book. It's in the book. Yeah. Last thing. The one thing that's always struck me is how, in spite of all of this craziness, the underlying good that came out of it is we have to admit, all of us, even today, that we are really related because these guys got angry and God sent them different ways and they married in like. Even Esau went back to Ishmael to get his wife because it would be of the clan, you know, instead of a foreigner. And, and through the generations, we are, why can't we remember that we are all related? Well, and get along. Well, that, again, not everybody who's related in, in these stories gets along. <laughs> it's sin. It's sin. If we could all get along, we wouldn't need Jesus, would we? <laughs> Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Amen. Next week is uh, Joseph. We would take two weeks on Joseph. I just I, they're right on the table already.